0: Friday on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. A couple of things to get out of the way before we begin. We will not have a podcast on Monday. Usually we can work around scheduling conflicts just not happening on Monday, so we won't be here. We'll be back on Tuesday. We also do plan to have podcasts through the holidays, just not every day, but there'll be some discussion of the news during that slow period. One last thing, a reminder, please take Two minutes to fill out our survey of listeners at cleveland.com slash today. We're thinking of adding some features to this thing where people can talk with us by a text message. We want to see if people are interested. It's on cleveland.com slash today. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here on a Friday with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. How are you all? It's Friday. Feeling good? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, man.
0: Two weeks till Christmas. <laughs> I'm moving into
1: our edition <laughs> oh, this weekend. Oh, yay. So,
0: wow.
2: it's congratulations. Very exciting.
0: That's a big deal. And no no more house projects that we'll be able to talk about next year. Going to have to find some other people with housing I mean, nightmares. Does no one want to
1: read about me paving my driveway? Like, is that not going to be exciting enough? Well, And
0: I'm thinking of <laughs> refinishing
3: my hardwood floors next year. Is that good enough?
0: <laughs> Ooh, okay. All right. Then we will have some home renovation nightmares.
1: I'm going nightmare. to replace a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris would tell us that he could do it all by himself. Mm-hmm. All of that. Uh, actually, we will
0: be refinishing our floors probably in the next year or two, and I will do it myself. Uh, Okay, let's begin. Ohio's Jim Jordan was hot in the middle of a debate in Congress Thursday about whether U.S. Supreme Court justices should have an ethics code about receiving the kinds of gifts an Ohio couple bestowed on Justice Sam Alito. Lisa, what was this hearing about? Yeah,
3: this hearing yesterday was with the House Judiciary Committee, which Jordan will head up come January. Um, they basically are talking about the need for a, a code of ethics for the Supreme Court. And they have cited a Centerville, Ohio couple as the reason why this code would be needed. So So uh, Gail and Don Wright hosted a dinner back around 2014 for Justice Samuel Alito. They're part of a program called Operation Higher Court, which is a bunch of of, uh, missionaries and and wealthy donors that are befriending conservative justices. And so um, the leader of this, the former leader of this group, Robert Schenck, says that uh, Judge Alito forewarned the rights about the outcome of the 2014 Hobby Lobby case about allowing private employers to refuse birth control coverage to their employees because it, if it violates their owners' religious beliefs, um, both uh, Gail Wright and Alito say that there was no leak. But then the New York Times reported that Schenck used this information for a PR blitz, and then he tipped off the defendant, Hobby Lobby, who eventually did win that case. So So Jim Jordan attacked Schenck's credibility with an unrelated thing. He says, well, you know, Schenck wrote a book passage that attributed false statements about a former Chief Justice William Rehnquist, which has nothing to do, but he was attacking his credibility. But Jordan also didn't say if he would support a judicial ethics bill.
0: Although some other conservatives yes. did. It is odd. It, 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 look, we've seen ethics violations in Ohio this year. We had a justice ruling on the case of his father and saying it's okay. It is odd that Congress and the executive branch have to follow an ethics code but the highest jurists in the land can take freebies left and right. It really questions their integrity.
3: Yeah, and Commission Chair uh, Gerald Nadler, the Democrat from New York, he's urging it be passed. He says judges really shouldn't be expected to and couldn't effectively self-police anyway. And he says this bill would go a long way to help restore faith in the judiciary. And some of the witnesses who spoke yesterday say whether a leak happened or not, It's improper for the rights or anybody else to provide gifts like hunting trips, fancy dinners, vacation home stays to judges. It just doesn't look right.
0: Does the legislative branch have the ability in the Constitution to adopt rules for the judicial branch? Aren't they supposed to be separate and equal?
3: That's a good question. I mean, they are supposed to be a separate branch. But yeah, whether the Congress has the power, I mean, they're talking about it. So I don't know what the legalities are.
0: Congress did pass a law requiring the executive branch to preserve records, so I guess there are some ways to do it. It would be nice to see. I I was kind of surprised at what Alito was getting. It's pretty scummy, and and they just should be above that. They're the highest court in the land. It's today in Ohio. KeyBank made headlines in 2016 by promising to improve lending practices in a city where redlining has been rampant, but the groups it worked with are walking away. Layla, redlining has been a long, long-standing problem in Cleveland. Black residents have been hammered by unfair lending practices for decades, and this was supposed to fix it. It didn't.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, the National Community Reinvestment Coalition had forged a community benefits agreement with KeyBank those several years back that was intended to really ramp up the bank's lending in low-income communities. And the agreement, excuse me, called for $16.5 billion of investment from KeyBank in in a variety of areas with about $5 billion earmarked for lending to low-income communities. And apparently, these kinds of agreements look good to regulators when banks are seeking to merge, which was exactly what KeyBank was doing Mm -hmm. in 2016. It was merging with First Niagara Bank in Buffalo. Well, last year, five years into this community benefits agreement, which is supposed to be carefully monitored by an advisory council made up of KeyBank folks and members of the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, KeyBank suddenly announced a new and expanded 10-year plan to to invest $40 billion into these efforts, and it did so without consulting the NCRC. So KeyBank you know, had not satisfied that five-year agreement before announcing a new one. So the NCRC dug deeper and found that KeyBank not only didn't live up to its promises, but its lending practices actually got worse during those five years. In 2018, 5.2% of KeyBank's home purchase loans included a Black applicant, but in 2021, only 2.7% of those loans had a Black borrower. So KeyBank's Bank, Key loans uh, to low and, and moderate income people, also declined. In 2018, these, these borrowers made up 35% of home purchase loans, and and that share dropped to 17% in 2021. KeyBank, you know, they refute that analysis with their own data, They show, showing that it, its loans to low and moderate income borrowers went up from 9,200 loans in 2018 to 13,000 in 2021. Uh, Between 2018 and 21, KeyBank increased loans to black borrowers by 24% and more than doubled its lending to all minority groups. But the NCRC says KeyBank is is really padding those numbers by including all types of loans, which includes refinancing an existing mortgage or a home improvement plan. They say the true proof is in the percentages of home purchase loans that go to black or low-income borrowers this just this
0: just continues year after year after year and you, you I I don't understand it I mean it's 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 a business you make money on this business why, why continue to have this level of discrimination and it's
2: it's I don't be, know. Uh, no, I, think, I was going to so. say
3: my family was the attempted victim of redlining back in 1962 when they tried to buy a house in Shaker Heights, mm-hmm. and they weren't allowed to buy it. They they weren't allowing any blacks below Lee Road, um, and uh, you know we had to have a Jewish man buy the house for us.
0: Oh, good. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: It was big news. Wow. A plane dealer covered it back in '62. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just, I I mean, this looked like such a good move in 2016, but I, you know, the timing, I guess, with the Buffalo Bank purchase means it was more for show than for real. It's today in Ohio, fresh off of redefining natural gas as green energy, something our readers are aghast by. The Ohio Senate made another unusual vote Thursday, an unexpected one, killing additional penalties for people who kill firefighters while driving. Laura, why did they do that?
1: Well, Matt Huffman, our Senate president, said mandatory minimums pave a road to quote-unquote injustice by removing the discretion of judges who are familiar with the given facts of a case, and he just doesn't like any mandatory sentencing. So the Senate voted down this legislation on Wednesday. It would have lengthened the minimum required prison sentence of anyone convicted of killing a firefighter or an EMS worker while driving to at least five years, it would be the same as police officers already have. And obviously this is in response to Johnny Tetrick, the Cleveland division of fire, fire, firefighter who was clearing 90 from an accident on a snowy Saturday night when another car struck him and they fled from the scene. That person is charged with aggravated vehicular homicide and failure to stop after an accident. But, you know, we talked about him on the podcast before, and it sounds like he was just the most stand up mentor kind of guy and this is a response
0: well a couple things on this the the guy who killed him when when he gets sentenced I'm sure will do more than the mandatory minimum mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he'll be getting out under that um and the, the, the you know the, there's an there's ration rational thought behind what Huffman said that when you weigh too heavily into the judicial sphere, you handcuff them and we should rely on our judges. We had huge problems with this in the federal system. I just suspicious. Matt Hoffman is not a friend to Northeast Ohio at all. And this was sponsored by two senators from Northeast Ohio. I mean, the mm-hmm. Senate passes all sorts of wacky stuff. Right. This had some momentum behind it. So what, why come off of this? Even though I think, this might be a good decision. Why why do we keep locking down judges? Why don't you let the judges who people elect make the decisions based on the facts of the case? In this case, you don't need a mandatory minimum for that guy. He's going to go away for a long time, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it obviously was a snap reaction. This happened November 19th, and we're talking about it now. So this wasn't a long, drawn-out, thoughtful we need to do this and here's why. But police already have that. And I think that was the idea was that they were just trying to close a loophole. And it was Tom Patton of Strongsville and a Republican and Democratic State Representative Bride Rose Sweeney of Cleveland that were trying to get this done. And the thing is, this was a Senate amendment, sorry, it was a House amendment to a bill that it was already approved by the Senate. So now they're going to have to go back and hammer that out. The original bill had nothing to do with firefighters or drunk driving. It removed the ability under current law for local police to block the sale or transportation of firearms during a riot and then prohibits restrictions on gun rights during any kind of disaster.
0: Well, if you take Matt Huffman at face value, it seems like it's a thoughtful consideration whether you agree with it or not. I just don't think pretty much anything he's done in the Senate allows us to take him at face value. You have to question what the motives are. It's today in Ohio. Rob Portman is rapidly approaching the end of his days as a U.S. Senator from Ohio, but he's not going quietly. What's he been up to in recent weeks, Lisa, and what is he planning for the next year? Yeah, he's certainly not coasting on his laurels
3: in these last few months before he he leaves uh, Capitol Hill. He's been a senator since 2010. He was a former U.S. representative from Cincinnati before that. He's still got four or five projects on his plate, and he hopes to complete them all before leaving in January. He did sign off on the protecting gay marriage legislation, something that he helped negotiate. We know that, you know, he has a gay son. So he had a little empathy there. Um, Also, he wants to look at jobs legislation, Retirement security. I'm guessing that would mean Social Security and, and Medicare. And also, a sec- China security is on his to do list. He's got his farewell speech planned for next Thursday, the 16th. I think there was like a, a release of some of his talking points. He says he wants to talk about the political rhetoric and the direction that it's going in. Uh, he wants to restore faith in all public institutions. And he says, you know, compromise is sorely lacking, you know, and, he, you know, like him or hey, him, he was a compromiser. I mean, he really did reach across the aisle. So, and as a matter of fact, there was a study on bipartisanship done last year by uh, Georgetown University in the Luger Center. They say that Rob Portman was the third most bipartisan person in Congress behind a Democrat from New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, and the Republican from Maine, Susan Collins.
0: Given who's replacing him, I feel certain we will miss Rob Portman, even though we disagreed with him frequently. Uh, I thought it was interesting. He said that by not running for reelection the last two years, he could work instead of seeking his office. I do have to say when he talks about rhetoric, we're on all the email lists for a bunch of these guys and Rob Portman regularly. I mean, uh, more than once a week would send emails saying, you know, uh, Joe Biden is is creating job killing this or, you know, the the Democrats are doing this. I mean, he I don't know why he would send those because nobody's writing about him. Nobody's paying any attention. But they came at a ridiculous cadence, just cheap shots at the other side. And I never quite understood why. If you really are working to compromise, why Throw those little slings and arrows at the other side. Why not just? Watch and I,
3: I think we kind of held him to task a little bit because once he announced he wasn't going to run again, I mean he could have been free to say anything he wanted, and he didn't. I think he he towed the the Trump line and 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 the line you know the Republican line way too much when he didn't have to do that there are a couple of surprising things that in the article about this is he says that he believes that his successor jd vance will get things done and he also thinks ohio is a purple state
0: yeah okay not not based on the last election but maybe it's today in ohio The Ohio State Fair is not a big deal in the Cleveland region, but it gets attention during the slow news cycles of summer every year. Fair officials are asking for a bundle of money to overhaul the fairgrounds, which I'm not sure anybody in Northeast Ohio cares about. How much do they want, Layla? What do they plan? And what are the chances state lawmakers are going to open up the state pocketbook?
2: Well, reporter Jeremy Pelzer tells us that a master plan framework presented to the Ohio Expositions Commission on Thursday calls for basically bulldozing most of the state fair's buildings on the complex in Columbus, and that includes buildings where the livestock is shown and, and where they display the famous butter cow. <laughs> um, other buildings are going to be renovated. Several new facilities would be constructed, including a new town square building at the center of the fairgrounds. So that would house the butter cow. Uh, international food vendors would be there in a marketplace. Other new buildings would host Taste of Ohio food vendors and agricultural Education exhibits, uh, as well as exhibits from the nearby Ohio History Connection. And then a campsite would be constructed on the northwest part of the fairgrounds and new parking garages would be built to help create more room for for the new buildings. And these buildings would be arranged in a way that's more accessible from the main corridor than than the current layout. Governor DeWine was really pushing this hard at the Expositions Commission meeting, calling it, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity to reimagine the state fair into a can't miss event or whatever he said. But, um, you know, the work would be done in phases over, I don't know, an untold amount of time. But they have the money they need to start architecture and utility work. But the overall cost is still kind of a question mark.
0: You know what's sad is that this thing doesn't travel Many counties have county fairs, so a lot of counties have fairgrounds. And why not, if it's the state fair, have it travel around the state every year so that every five or six years, the whole state gets to partake of it. I mean, it's...
2: Well, it sounds like it needs a lot of infrastructure to support this kind of production. God knows how much it'll cost to build all these these buildings.
1: I I went to the state fairgrounds for the very first time last... Friday, when I was at the hockey tournament and missed, missed the podcast. And I'd never been there before. And I was impressed by how nice the buildings were, actually. And we played at what is the Coliseum. It's, this, you know, ice rink where they also have probably demolition derbies and, and tractor pulls and all sorts of stuff. And I was actually I said, "Wow, it's really nice down here. I had no idea. But it is, is very it the
2: Coliseum one that's going to be overhauled or? It probably needs
1: to be overhauled. But I would think that it has some historic, I don't know, integrity. It's very close to the Ohio State campus. So if you add camping there, I was like, that would be interesting for Buckeyes games. (laughs) Very close.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's today in Ohio. The Ohio Senate might not know what green energy is, but one of Cleveland's biggest manufacturers does. Which company, Laura, is going heavy into securing power from an actual green energy source? And we're not talking about natural gas.
1: No, no. We're talking about wind. In Indiana, of all places, Cleveland Cliffs has an agreement with EDP Renewables North America to buy electricity generated in Indiana just over the... The Ohio line northwest of Dayton in Randolph County. It's a 15-year power purchase agreement. Cliffs will buy 180 megawatts of electricity from their planned Headwaters 3 wind farm. And the spokesman from Cleveland Cliffs couldn't say what percentage of the electricity consumption will be represented by that agreement, but the amount is enough electricity to power 54,000 homes. That's a lot of electricity.
0: It's sad that we can't provide it in Ohio. We had we got a, we got a big story coming during the holiday break. It's going to look at the failure of Ohio to really invest in green energy sources, and so to get the green energy power, they got to go to Indiana. Well,
1: you remember why? I mean, not why we don't have green energy in Ohio, but HB six gutted any kind of requirement, right? It took away subsidies, right? And yeah. they
0: never. And they never repealed that part of it. That's still exactly. in place. Exactly. That's why they were, you know, we, were, there were, there are some people in the industry trying to argue in favor of natural grass, as green energy. And it, it, you know, it's public relations, but you can't do that in a state where they've gutted the green energy requirements. There is no commitment to green energy in Ohio. And now by making natural gas, a green energy and possibly even coal. Right, Laura? And that, yes. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yes.
1: Any, any kind of fossil fuel that isn't quite as bad as other fossil fuels is, I think, how they worded it. It was very... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sneaky. Yeah. So it's
0: not surprising.
1: Good for Cleveland Cliffs. They have committed to a goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions 25% by 2030 using 2017 as a baseline. So I got, you know, give them credit. They're <laughs> they're a steelmaker going for green energy.
0: Okay. It's today in Ohio. We've talked about a lot of interesting stories that came from the poll we commissioned with Baldwin-Wallace University. We still have more to come. Two of them, for me, were very surprising. One was the not overwhelming desire to close Burke for an airport. This is the other one. What did people tell us, Lisa, about spending $40 million in precious taxes on the failed medical, work. I would go
3: further, Chris, and say that you were horrified <laughs> by the response. <laughs> so this Baldwin Wallace poll, again, you know, this was 504 Northeast Ohio residents from seven Greater Cleveland counties that were, you know, uh, polled on this issue. They were divided, but kind of receptive. So 44% of those surveyed said that they were strongly. Or somewhat in support of keeping the medical mart. 34% strongly opposed the money and strongly or somewhat opposed. So that's a 10 point spread. Um, 22% were not sure. That's a pretty high uh, number there. And Democrats, college graduates, people making $100,000 a year or more were lo- more likely to support you know, uh, money for the MedMart, that's over 50%. And then, you know, high school grads, Republicans, people making 50 to 99,000 or under 50,000 were much less likely to support it down as low as 37%. There was really no difference among, you know, the race demographics at all. And another set of questions about this, 29% that said they should find another use for the MedMart. 15% said sell it. Thirty-four percent said renovations would allow it to hold larger events.
0: The the readers have pointed out to me already that this poll included people from outside Cuyahoga County who don't have any skin in the game in Cuyahoga County. We don't have a whole lot of capital money right now, and we have a huge need—more than a billion, probably—for the jail and courthouse, either replacement or renovation. And using forty million of that money for this. Uh, probably if you just talked to Cuyahoga taxpayers, the numbers would be a little bit different. But still, like you said, receptive to the discussion, which I was not expecting. Well,
3: tell me about this unofficial survey. Apparently, Cleveland.com and the plane dealer did an unofficial survey in June where they got 300 responses. Was this one of your email queries
0: or? No, um, Layla, that was a Caitlin story. What was that?
2: Oh, good question. I have to go back and take a look. We've done so. We've been we've been reporting on so many polls yeah. and surveys. I
1: think she put her own poll in, right? Oh, so that's oh, what it was. That's she right. created a poll for her story. Yeah,
2: that's right. Caitlin did that. That was a Caitlin Durbin oh, initiative. Okay. And, and in that I mean. poll,
3: more than fifty percent of the three hundred people polled rejected the renovations and said that the MedMart should be sold.
2: Yeah. That was that was though embedded in her stories and I think maybe circulated on social but but so I my guess is that people who were actively reading stories about the Medmart had a an elevated view of what was going on versus someone who was just like randomly selected and asked about it. That's That's a really good point. But that's what
0: politicians are counting on today. We're the only ones that were covering that. Nobody else paid much attention to it. So our readers, the readers of Caitlin's stories, were informed about what was happening. The others who aren't paying attention are just caught cold by the question. Uh, And that's the problem with the current newsosphere. There just isn't anybody covering this stuff.
1: Remember, there are a bunch of Democrats who are undecided on how they feel about Jim Jordan. Like, that was the biggest surprise from this (laughs) (laughs) poll.
0: I don't know how that could be, but... Okay, it's Today in Ohio. In college sports, recruiting is everything. And now that we live in an age when top athletes can receive big-time compensation for use of their names, images, and likenesses, the recruiting game has changed. What fairly shocking step did Ohio State take this week to boost its recruiting power? Layla, we don't talk about sports on this podcast a whole lot, but this is a game changer for Ohio State Buckeye football.
2: It is. So So the name image likeness revenue opportunities were quite a boon to Ohio State's recruitment efforts for a while. In January, OSU said that its athletes had earned $2.98 million in name image likeness compensation, and, and that figure, it seemed, led the nation. But now these nonprofit fundraising institutions called collectives are really throwing a wrench into OSU's recruitment. These collectives, which are run by boosters or prominent donors, bring in funds to distribute to athletes. These have apparently become very popular, and money is just flowing into them at such a high rate that OSU hasn't quite been able to keep up. And coaches increasingly feel that they're losing recruits because other big schools can offer more lucrative compensation packages. Now, Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith Is appealing directly to fans to support players. Smith released a statement Thursday directly asking the fans to support the three collectives that currently work with the Buckeyes. They're called Cohesion, the Foundation, and O Foundation. And the rules say Ohio State can work with collectives and athletes, but the school can't pay the athletes directly. It also can't direct its own money to the collectives. So it sounds like the nearly three million in, in name image likeness compensation that OSU was boasting about just isn't nearly enough. OSU football coach Ryan Day in June said it it would take about thirteen <laughs> million dollars annually to keep the roster together. So- and that's now.
0: And this is just going to go up. You've now inje- have injected huge money into this in a way... Look, it's fair, right? The best players should get some kind of compensation. The university makes boatloads of money off of them. But wow, what a difference. Begging fans to give money to pay to the players so they can continue recruiting because other schools are out distancing themselves. Not something that you would have predicted five years ago could be out there.
2: Nope. And I I don't know. What do you think? Is this... I was trying to ask my husband this morning, is this good or bad? What? What's, you know, I, I mean, it, it really changes the game because you don't, you know, Ohio State for the longest time would just run on its own reputation of having the strong, one of the strongest uh, athletic programs, strongest football program. But now it's all about, like, how deep are the pockets of the supporters of these, of yeah, these institutions? Yeah, but the
0: college makes so much money off of football, and the players weren't getting it. You know, they were saying, oh, you get an education, you get a chance to play pro. But it was not fair the way it was but going.
2: OSU was still not able to direct their own money toward the collectives or to the athletes. So, they're still not getting a cut of what the school makes. No, but they, this is all upon you know individual donors to to raise these.
0: Influence. No, but at least they get they can get some kind of cash while they're there. I, it, it changes everything. I mean, sports gambling is about to change things even more come January. Uh, I, I mean, the whole language of this stuff is changing, but the idea that you're begging people to help us get 13 million because our paltry three million is allowing other schools to get the best recruits. Wow, that's a very mm-hmm. different era. Yeah. It's Today in Ohio. It's back, and two of our number are going. But now it's a kid show? Layla and Laura, tell us about how your kids became Hamilton devotees and how you're dealing with some of the adult themes in that show <laughs> that you're taking them to.
1: This is a from, from the newsroom conversation put on the podcast. <laughs> you from you from, from, News from the newsroom. A Quinn <laughs> special. Uh, I. I started listening to the soundtrack in 2015 when Hamilton blew up Broadway, and I knew there was no chance I was going to Broadway, but my kids were two and four, and this is how old I am. So I got the CD from the library and burned it. So I had a CD. We had two discs, which I labeled Hamilton 1 and Hamilton 2. My kids thought they were two different shows. And when when we went on spring break to Yorktown, we listened to The World Turned Upside Down on repeat. (laughs) So I <laughs> I like country music. My husband hates it. So it is one of the few music choices we could all agree on. And then when it came out on Disney Plus during the pandemic, we actually brought a TV outside so we could watch with our neighbors. And yeah, they are they are big. Ham- okay,
0: I, I I guess I should have predicted you were a fan of country music, but I got to oh make my sure. Yeah, right you guys didn't
1: know that you've Holy known me for. 50. Moly, I didn't know that. I've, I'm sorry. It's predictable.
0: So, but but you also were talking yesterday. Uh, you guys, when I when I realize you're taking your children to this expensive show, that how you deal with the themes. I mean, there's themes in here of adultery and
1: and I told you I always skip that song <laughs> with my
2: kids. <laughs> We haven't skipped that song, but I've just been hoping that many of these adult subjects are so far over their heads that they aren't grabbing onto them. I mean, we glossed over the affair by telling them that, oh, back in those days it was illegal to kiss a person who wasn't who you weren't married to or whatever. I mean, <laughs> but I'm having trouble with my my eight-year-old whose favorite rap to repeat over and over is the one where Hercules Mulligan introduces himself at the beginning of the show through the series of hypersexual verses. <laughs> and she's Been asking me, what does that mean? And I'm like, I just say, I don't know, I don't know. They they spoke differently back then, (laughs) but I gotta say, like they they have watched it several times and they listen to the soundtrack constantly. And when they're not listening to the soundtrack, they're singing it. And they have driven their friends absolutely. Bonkers. Yesterday I was taking my kids and one other girl from uh, one other girl home from gymnastics and my my daughters asked if we could listen to some music on the way. And I was expecting them to request like Kids Bop or some pop singer. And they were like, We wanna hear the Reynolds pamphlet. <laughs> 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 and it took me a minute to realize they were talking about the song where- you You're know, never gonna Hamilton be president where- now. Yeah, he writes that he publicly details the affair he had and the extortion by the woman's husband. And I look in the rearview mirror and I see this other girl's face, like <laughs> totally, like get me out of here. Okay,
0: but but in the scene where the, in the "Say No to This" song, where the woman is pleading with Hamilton for for getting together. Kisses. Right? For kisses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can't be. There it is. There's the explanation. There isn't much more of a seduction scene on the stage. And it's, it's. I mean, I just had as a- My kids
1: are going to be like, what song is that? We've never heard that yeah. one, Mom. <laughs> so I'm going to have to deal with it. But that's not the only thing. I mean, they're talking about, there are duels. People are killing each other on the stage. And that's been a conversation about, you know, conflict resolution. And so <laughs> I asked my 12-year-old, Now what he likes about it and he says he thinks it's really cool that you get to watch history and then he brought up on his phone on YouTube some history professor who was rapping about Mesopotamia. So I think this has started an entire trend of like hip cool history and that is awesome.
2: I think that all history should be taught
1: through rap and musical Amen. theater.
2: I mean, my kids have become experts on the Revolutionary War, and it just took two weeks of an all-out Hamilton obsession to achieve it. So,
0: Okay, well, Hamilton's back in town, and clearly a lot of people are talking about it. I'm glad we had the, this chat about how you introduce your children to adult themes. That's it for today in Ohio for this week. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday, not Monday.